Hello, and welcome to another episode of Emma and Rebecca Talk IP. This is the podcast where we discuss topics catching our attention in the world of intellectual property and attempt to unravel what's really going on. My name is Rebecca Gay. And I'm Emma Isles. Today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different, and we'll actually be sharing a podcast from another HSF series, Talking Shop. I recently joined Aoife Zureb and Eliza Foley on that series to talk about trademarks, certification marks and greenwashing. It feels like at the moment there's a development in greenwashing involving a dispute at least once a week. Just last week it was reported that the South Korean-owned Arc Energy has been accused by friends of Chalumban, apologies if I've said that incorrectly, of greenwashing over its plans for a controversial $1 billion wind farm adjacent to the World Heritage listed rainforests in North Queensland. The allegation was made as part of the ongoing Senate inquiry into greenwashing. And there's plenty of other examples. In the preceding couple of weeks, we had Australian Parents for Climate Action commence a landmark action challenging allegedly misleading statements made by Energy Australia about its, quote, carbon neutral energy products. Uh, And in the ongoing ASIC federal court proceeding against Mercer superannuation, we heard that Mercer is looking likely to admit liability in respect of the promotion of its sustainable plus investment options. That's right. So to say that this is a hot topic is possibly an understatement. But bringing it all back to IP, like we like to do, uh, we hope you enjoy this episode of the Talking Shop series and learning more about how trademarks can be caught up in greenwashing. Welcome to Talking Shop, Herbert Smith-Freehill's podcast series exploring the latest global trends for consumer sector companies. My name is Eva Zirib, a partner and commercial litigator in our disputes group, specialising in class actions and product liability litigation. Talking shop with us today, I'm delighted to have my colleagues Emma Isles and Eliza Foley. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Eva. It's great to be here. Thanks very much, Eva. Emma is a partner in our intellectual property disputes team and advises clients in all areas of IP and technology with extensive experience in consumer law and trademark matters, and regularly advises clients on advertising, marketing campaigns, and disputes. Eliza, Senior Associate, also in our Melbourne office with our trademarks and branding team. Eliza manages the local and overseas trademark portfolios of Australian and multinational clients across sectors such as FMCG, food and beverage, banking and insurance, telecommunications, technology, healthcare, and education. Today, you might have guessed it, we're talking about trademarks, including certification marks and greenwashing risks. Australia's competition and consumer law regulator, the ACCC, has been focused on greenwashing for quite a while now and recently published its draft guidance for businesses to improve the integrity of their environmental and sustainability claims and protect consumers from greenwashing. The draft guidance is intended to help businesses understand and comply with their obligations under the Australian consumer law when making environmental and sustainability claims. This touches on a whole range of representations that businesses make to consumers about their environmental footprint, including direct written or verbal representations, representations made in advertisements on product packaging and on businesses' social media pages and websites. The guidance includes statements about the use of certification marks, and these marks have been the subject of comments by the ACCC previously in the context of greenwashing. So, Emma, perhaps you could start by explaining what a certification trademark is. Absolutely, Aoife. 
So many listeners will probably be familiar with the general concept of a trademark. It's commonly thought of as a sign that's used to distinguish a particular trader's goods or services from those of their competitors. Certification trademarks are a very specific type of trademark, and they're used to indicate to consumers that a product or a service meets a particular standard. So a certification mark could indicate that a product is of a particular quality, that it's been manufactured in a particular location, uh, using a particular material, ingredient or process, or that it's suitable for a particular purpose, for example. Usually a certification mark is a logo uh, or it's some other type of graphic that a business will use on its packaging and advertising material. Uh, and a well-known example that many people will be aware of is the Australian made trademark. That's the green triangle with a yellow kangaroo in it. There are over 10,000 products that use that particular logo to certify that they are of Australian origin. Another example people might know is the Heart Foundation tick. So food products that carry that tick uh, on the labelling need to be independently tested to certify that they meet certain nutrient and ingredient standards. In recent years, perhaps unsurprisingly, we've started to see quite a few certification marks pop up in the environment and sustainability space. Uh, and some examples of those would be uh, the Australian Certified Organic Mark, the B Corp certification mark, uh, and the energy star rating that we see on a lot of uh, white goods and appliances in our kitchens. So Eliza, how do certification trademarks come about? The first step in the registration process of a certification trademark is fairly similar to applying for any other type of trademark. You submit an application for the mark to IP Australia, covering the goods and services for which you require protection. One thing that is different, though, is that the application must be accompanied by a set of rules specifying how the proposed mark will be used. This would include the rules governing the standards that need to be met to use the certification mark and the method used by the trademark owner or certification assessor for determining whether these standards have been met by a business that is seeking to use the mark. The register assesses the application in the first instance to check that it meets the general requirements for a trademark and assuming it does, the registrar then sends the application onto the next stage of the assessment at the ACCC. Unlike other trademarks, certification trademarks cannot be registered without the ACCC's approval. The ACCC will assess the certification mark and its rules considering principles relating to competition, unconscionable conduct and consumer protection. If the ACCC approves the mark, the application is accepted and advertised for opposition by third parties. Assuming no oppositions are filed or that any oppositions filed are unsuccessful, the certification mark is then registered. Okay, fantastic. So great context. We've covered what certification marks are and how they're registered. Now let's talk about why they might be on the ACCC's radar at the moment and how they fit into that world of greenwashing. Sure. So protecting consumers from misleading environmental claims is a topic that has been in the news pretty consistently for at least the last 12 months, if not longer. Uh, and a very recent example um, that people might have seen is an advertisement for the Australian Petroleum Production and Exploration Association that was banned uh, by our advertising watchdog, the Ad Standards, who found that it was in breach of the Environmental Claims in Advertising and Marketing Code. That particular ad included a statement about natural gas being 50% cleaner 
but it didn't clearly specify uh, what that was in comparison to or explain the basis for the comparison that was being made. And based on the impression, an average consumer in the target market um, would likely take away from that advertisement, the claim was found to be misleading or deceptive. And misleading environmental claims are a priority area for the ACCC at the moment, um, and their role is to protect consumers. Uh, and the draft guidance they've just published that you mentioned earlier, EFA, comes after a greenwashing internet sweep that the ACCC conducted where they found that 50% of businesses reviewed were found to be making potentially misleading environmental claims. And that included the use of third-party certifications and symbols in a confusing way. So that's certification marks and other marks that might be applied to consumer goods that have environmental or sustainability connotations. And Eliza, what are some of the examples of existing certification marks that relate to the environment or to sustainability? Uh, so Emma provided some examples earlier, but there are a number of others that listeners may be familiar with, including the fair trademark that's often applied to foods like, sorry, oops, just start that again. Uh, Emma provided some examples earlier, but there are a number of others that listeners may be familiar with, including the fair trademark that's often applied to foods like cocoa and coffee, and on textiles like cotton to signify that the products meet certain social, environmental and economic standards and aid farmers and workers in developing countries. There's also the Rainforest Alliance mark that's sometimes applied to tea, coffee and chocolate to signify that the products help protect forests and improve the conditions for farmers, as well as help them mitigate and adapt to climate change. Now, these are all well-recognised and generally understood marks. So when they are applied to goods, consumers know what they mean in relation to the product. But there is a proliferation of other environmental marks that appear to certify things like carbon status, sustainability, recyclability, and the environmental friendliness. These are potentially more complicated messages than fair trade. Emma, the ACCC found that businesses in some of the consumer good sectors had the greatest proportion of environmental claims of concern. That's cosmetics, personal care, textiles, garments and shoes and food and beverages. Can you just talk us through the type of conduct that clients operating in particular in those sectors need to be really mindful of when it comes to the use of certifications and symbols in their advertising and on packaging and labelling? Yeah, of course. So there are a few key issues to be aware of. Uh, the first stems from the proliferation of these marks and the complexity of the certification schemes that can be behind them. So businesses can risk misleading consumers if the scheme behind the certification mark they're using is not well known or understood. And the ACCC has expressed concern about consumer confusion in light of the fact that there are now, for example, seven different carbon neutral certification or offsetting schemes. Uh, consumers making purchasing decisions need to be able to understand what certification under each scheme means and how they compare to one another. One another. So not only is there a proliferation of these types of things, but mm. you know, carbon neutral certification in and of itself is not an easy complex to understand necessarily. So it's pretty easy to see how confusion can arise. So businesses using these emerging marks need to think about whether consumers will understand what they mean about the products they're applied to and whether that's accurate respect to the product. 
And they should also think about whether they need to make available some more information about the mark, either on the product packaging, if there's room, uh, or elsewhere, for example, through the use of QR codes that link easily to information on websites. Mm -hmm. Another issue is using a mark in a way that goes beyond what the certification means. So the meaning or significance of the mark and what it means shouldn't be misrepresented. So, for example, the certification may relate to only particular components of a product or certain stages in its production, but the way it's used suggests that the entirety of the product or its manufacture meets the certified claim. Uh, or otherwise, perhaps you're not actually complying with the certification scheme, but you're still using the mark. Uh, and a related issue is using a certification mark in relation to a scheme that's actually not independent or it's not robust. So the ACCC has expressed concern about businesses creating their own certification schemes for their own products. Uh, and that could obviously risk rendering the whole concept of certification marks in this space redundant because it no longer assists consumers to distinguish between different products. And finally, businesses may use marks or logos that appear to be certification marks, but are actually not. So, for example, using symbols with leaves or the planet or the colour green or something that looks like the recyclable symbol but isn't, um, it can lead consumers into believing that a business or product has some form of certification in relation to sustainability, for example, when that's actually not the case. Making certain environmental claims within a trademark should also be a consideration for those seeking to register a mark. IP Australia examines trademark applications on a number of statutory criteria. The most common grounds of refusal are that a mark is insufficiently distinctive or too similar to prior third-party marks. But the office will also refuse an application if there's a connotation arising from the mark that would be likely to deceive or confuse consumers if the mark is used in connection with the goods and services claimed in the application. This ground of refusal applies primarily if the mark is misdescriptive. For example, an application for a mark that contains the term plastic free, but which claims plastic cups. Marks that contain words or symbols which suggest that the goods and services are organic, sustainable or recyclable are unlikely to encounter an objection on this basis, provided there is no incongruity with the goods and services claimed. The office simply assumes the trademark owner will use its mark in a manner that does not mislead. Thanks, Emma and Eliza. I mean, really stepping back from this, so Misleading, deceptive environmental claims from a consumer perspective, obviously, they make it really difficult for consumers to make an informed purchasing decision. They can damage consumer confidence in sustainability claims more broadly. Um, then from the competitor advantage, they also unfairly disadvantage businesses that have obviously put that effort into and incurred additional production or research costs to make their products or services more sustainable. Emma, what's next for Australian businesses operating in the world of greenwashing? That's the big question, I think. Um, well, certainly we know that the ACCC is seeking feedback on its draft guidance by mid-September, so we won't see a final product of that guidance for some time yet. And businesses can provide feedback on whether that draft improves their confidence in being able to make legitimate environmental and sustainability claims. And consumers can provide feedback on how their confidence in the reliability of businesses' environmental claims could be improved. So there's room for movement there. And in the meantime, I think we can expect to see continuing activity from the ACCC in this space and potentially even some enforcement action. 
The HLC has certainly flagged prioritising consumer product safety, fair trading and competition concerns in relation to environmental and sustainability claims in the 2023-24 compliance and enforcement priorities. And it's said that it won't hesitate to take action where it sees consumers being misled or deceived by green claims. I think we can also expect to see on the horizon some disputes that are brought privately in this space, and they could be brought you know, on the basis of what you were talking about before, Aoife, in that a competitor perceives that one of their competitors is, is getting an unfair advantage in this space, although I think doing that brings the risk um, that your own claims are going to be scrutinised, so businesses might be a bit shy of doing that. But there are certain environmental groups that have been quite active in this space um, and so they might be looking to take action to hold people to account um, and make sure that you know claims are justified um, and businesses aren't you know misleading people out there. Well thank you Emma and Eliza for talking shop with us today. Some great practical insights into a topic that is obviously prevalent um, we are looking forward to sharing more consumer sector insights over the coming months. Before we close, I'll pass to Eliza to share an interesting fact relating to the consumer sector. Thanks, Eva. So uh, many listeners may know that Michelin, the French tyre company, is also responsible for issuing Michelin stars to restaurants around the world. Although not registered as a certification mark, Michelin stars operate as a kind of trust mark in that they certify that a restaurant has met a certain quality standard as determined by the Michelin inspectors. You may wonder how a tyre company came to be the world's leading authority on fine dining, though. Initially, Michelin developed a guidebook of handy information for travellers, such as the location of gas stations, hotels and restaurants. The idea was that the guidebook would encourage more people to take road trips and because more people on the road meant more cars driven and more cars driven meant more tyres needed. Over time, the guidebook began to include restaurant reviews, in, which ultimately developed into the Michelin star system. It's impossible to know whether this tactic was actually successful in increasing tyre sales, but there's no question as to the success of the Michelin star rating system. Thanks, Eliza, and thanks, Emma. And as ever, thank you for listening. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.